Uh, let's have a word of prayer and let's get started. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you very much uh, for your word, the Bible, that gives us hope and guidance in these last days. And we are in the last days because your word is giving us the signs of the times and helping us to understand. But it's not to make us afraid, but to make us excited for the second coming of Jesus. And so as we continue going through Bible prophecy and how see how it's been pro- fulfilled in history and even to our very day, please guide us with your Holy Spirit. Please guide Pastor Tim as he presents tonight. And every single one of us, Lord, help us to come to the Bible with open hearts and open minds to receive your message tonight. And most of all, we pray that we could see Jesus this evening through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight we're looking at the King of the North. Who's the King of the North in our world right now? Tonight we're going to be looking at who the King of the North is, presentation two. Then we're going to be looking at the role of the United States, presentation three. Then we're looking at the role of Israel, presentation four. Then we're looking at the role of Islam, and we put it all together. Remember, that one's going to be a little longer. I shoot for about an hour-long presentation. That one, on Tuesday night, is probably going to be an hour and a half. All right? If you want the short version, you show up Wednesday at 545, and I will just have to slice and dice to cut it down to an hour. So you will miss a lot if you get the shorter version. That's all I'm, you know, that's just the only way you can get it down to an hour. Okay, so tonight we're looking at who the king of the north is. So from the time of Daniel to the end of sin and suffering, we have this prophecy going. You have one king of the north after another. But who's the king of the north in our time period? Uh, last presentation, we found out they go through phases. And Jesus was the prince of the covenant. Now, Rome attacked Jesus in verse 22. So who won? Jesus or Rome? Depends on when you look at it. Friday night, it looked like who won? I mean, Jesus is dead and there's a hundred Roman soldiers guarding his tomb. Sure looked like Rome won on that one, right? He's dead, they're alive. Those hundred Roman soldiers must have laughed when they got their weekend duty. They're supposed to keep a dead man dead for three days. They had never yet had trouble with a dead man. I mean, we're supposed to, if he gets up, just stab him, put him back down. I mean, this is crazy. But, A, we're paid to do what we're told. So they're watching a dead man to keep him dead. Sometime just a little before sunrise on Sunday morning. There's an earthquake. An angel comes flashing down. A hundred Roman soldiers fall over like dead men. Only it's a little worse. It's like a dream where you can't move a muscle. But you can still see what's going on. I've had those dreams a couple of times. They're not fun. But these guys, it's not a dream. This angel comes up. They fall over. And they can see. He flips the stone away. Jesus comes out of that tomb And Jesus walks away, the lights fade. They get up and they run. As they run into the city to talk to the priest and Pilate, do you think as they're running in, they're yelling, we won, we... No. They get to the priest and the Pilate and say, you know, you guys have a big problem. He's not dead. He is supernatural. And you killed him. 
Suppose you killed somebody that comes back to life. You can't stop him by killing him because that doesn't work. He just gets up and comes again. How are you going to stop him? What if he wants to get even? Maybe now you know maybe why Pilate commits suicide. Because every time the cat knocks something over in the house, he wonders if Jesus is coming to get even. It would not have been easy. Now, some of the soldiers that killed him actually had a much better way of doing it. They accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now they didn't have to be afraid of him. Because they heard him say, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. And they took him up on that. You see, you have two choices. You can trust Jesus and be forgiven or not trust him and live in fear. But if Jesus wins... That means Rome, the current king of the north, attacks him. And shortly after the current king of the north loses, somebody connected to the one who takes him down becomes the next king of the north. In Daniel 2, you have the feet of, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. Well, that means Rome is going to continue in some ways. Jeremiah chapter 18. Anybody want to tell me who the clay is? It's God's people. You have a mixture of Rome and God's people that comes in after Rome. It's going to be connected to Jesus somehow, but it's also going to be connected to Rome somehow. Huh. So, we're looking at what power follows Rome. Historically, Rome, like Greece, splits north and south. In the Greek split, you had Seleucids north, Ptolemy south, Jerusalem gets caught in the middle. In the Roman split, Islam comes from the south, Christianity comes from the north in the Crusades. And what city gets caught in the middle? Just like the Rome, Greek split, Jerusalem gets caught in the middle. There are three conflicts, the Crusades, the Ottomans, and the time of the end. Here are all three of them in one verse. At the appointed time, he, the king of the north, shall return and go towards the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. The former is the Crusades. There's the Ottoman Empire. There's the time of the end. Now, the Hebrew in this one actually tells us, the grammar, that the king of the north and the king of the south are the same in all three of those conflicts. So you can't change who they are partway through. That's fine, because historically it matches Christian north, Islam south the whole time. Patrick Buchanan, back in 2011, he says, As for a climatic conflict between a once Christian West and an Islamic world that is growing in numbers and advancing inexorably into Europe for the third time in 14 centuries. He's not saying that from Bible prophecy. He's saying that from history. Third conflict. Oh, how many conflicts are in Daniel? Three. We're in the third and final. Here's the good news. This is the last one. That's good news if you're looking forward to Jesus coming. We're in the last round. Since 14 centuries. That's since the time of the Roman Empire. We've had three conflicts between these two powers. The prophecy and the history match. Daniel never misses. So we're looking down at the divided Roman Empire in Daniel 2. It was the feet of iron and clay. Daniel 7, it's the ten horns with a little horn coming up out of there. Now, the king of the north in Daniel 11 is the same as the little horn of 7 and 8. They're parallels. Remember, it's repeat and enlarge. 
which happens to be the same as the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2 or the beast of Revelation 13. It's the same power with different ways of describing it. Somebody says, well, why can't the Bible be consistent and just use the same name for it all the time? Well, I have a question. How many names does Jesus have? A whole bunch. I saw a poster down in the fellowship hall. The names of Jesus. I mean, it's a whole poster. It's just... Right? He's the rock. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's Emmanuel. He's the Messiah. He's all kinds of things. He's the Rose of Sharon, right? Why so many names? Messiah, the Christ, are meaning the Anointed One. God with us. Well, that's kind of self-evident, right? Emmanuel. All these names indicate something about what Jesus is like. When you have these powers, it tells you what this final system is like that you have to deal with. Different aspects of it. All right? Now, you have people that study Bible prophecy, and most of them would agree that these are the same power, but they don't always agree on who that power is. All right? So I'm going to go through the characteristics, actually 15 of them, and we're going to take a look at this and see if we can identify who this is. Number one, it starts from the time of the breakup of Rome, so it goes from Rome and it goes all the way to deliverance. Let's take a look. Remember, the three conflicts, it's the same north, same south all the way through. Verse 22, talking about the Jewish people, they shall be broken and also the prince of the covenant. That's Jesus' death right in the middle of Daniel 11. Verse 23, and after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully. So a league gets made just like the iron and clay coming together, right? And it goes on and it describes this power that rises in verse 23 and at last all the way to verse 45 when it says, yet he shall come to his end and no one shall help him. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So it starts from Rome, right after Jesus, and it lasts all the way till Jesus delivers his people. That's more than one person. That's got to be a system or a power. Daniel 8, the little horn. Remember I said these are different names for the same characteristic? Now let's see how Daniel 8 describes it. I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them. Well, Rome splits in the ten pieces and the little horn comes up. So it's somewhere around the breakup of Rome. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So in Daniel 7 verse 8, you know, it says when it comes up, it's at the breakup of the Roman Empire. And he watched till the beast is slain and its body destroyed. When is that? Verse 26 helps us out on that. And they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. It starts in Rome, and when it goes down, God's people are delivered again. Got to be the same power, starts at the same time, ends with the deliverance of God's people. The man of sin. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. First century, shortly after the time of Jesus, Paul is saying the man of sin is already starting. He 
Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So it's going to start from the time of Rome. It's going to be held in check. It's going to come up up, out in the open a little bit later. That's the same as when the lead gets made in Daniel 11. And it's going to last until it's destroyed by the brightness of Jesus coming when he delivers his people. Boy, this is consistent, isn't it? Starts from the time of Rome, goes to deliverance. The beast of Revelation. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, like a bear, and like a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. That's Daniel 7 imagery. So it's coming out of the Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then this power. Rome, it follows Rome. All right. How long does it last? And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured with him, the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Oh, so they're destroyed with fire. Just like the rest of them said, and that has when Jesus delivers his people, ultimately. So it's very consistent. So who is this king of the north, little horn, menace, and antichrist beast power? Luther, Calvin, Wycliffe, the Wesleys all taught the same thing. It was not politically correct in their day. Lots of people have had a price put on their head for actually identifying this one. I know you can get in trouble with it because I have. I've ended up on the wrong end of assault rifles over this one. So far, I'm still alive, though, so that's good. (laughs) Who did they say it was? They said it's the Roman Catholic papal system. Now, hear me carefully. Not Roman Catholic people, many of which God calls his people in Revelation 18.4. All right? Did you hear that? Not Roman Catholic people. Please do not leave here saying that this guy thinks all Roman Catholics are lost. I do not. I actually believe there's going to be more former Catholics in heaven than former anything else. There's going to be former Catholics. There's been more of them for more years than anything else. Statistically, they should have a very good representation in heaven. There's also going to be some former Adventists, some former Baptists, some former Methodists. Did you notice I just called them all? Former? Because in heaven, we're finally just going to be God's kids and the barriers are gone. Isn't that going to be fun? I'm looking forward to that one. But since there's been more of them for more years, I mean, I'm totally expecting to be in a neighborhood in heaven that's got more former Catholics than former anything else in it. However, many Catholic people have been the victims of the human rights abuses of the papal system. There's a difference between the people and the system. All right? Actually, if you go on conservative Catholic websites right now, a lot of them are actually calling Francis the Antichrist because of some of his positions. It's kind of interesting to watch Catholics talking to Catholics right now and their websites. 
Does the papal system fit? That's the real question. Well, can you tell me how many powers or systems have been around since the Roman Empire that are still here? Did it come up in the first century? Do they claim popes back into the first century? Yes, they do. Were they held in check for a little while? What happened to any religious leader that got a little too powerful in the first three centuries? He got killed. But then there was a league made with Constantine between religion and politics. And we end up with the Roman Empire going to the Holy Roman Empire. So after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully. Take a look at that coin. It's minted by Constantine the Great after he unites pagan Rome and papal Rome. Christians represented 20% of the empire at the time. They'd been killing them for a couple of centuries, but they couldn't wipe them out. And Constantine finally decided he would mix Christianity and politics together to try and make Rome strong again. So, he makes Christianity legal, but I want you to notice There's a cross, there's the sun. He still had a lot of sun worshipers in his empire. So he is a good politician. He's trying to grab both of them and unite them. But remember, 80% of his empire is pagan, 20% is Christian. So what's this up the middle? That's Saul the sun god. Notice about 80, majority of it is pagan, a minority is Christian. He just combines paganism and Christianity, and folks, we're still paying for that one to this day. It confused a lot of stuff in Christianity. Here's the worst, well, I'm not sure if I can tell you what the worst thing is, but one of the bad things was this. Up until Constantine, Christians would die for Jesus, but they would not kill for Jesus. And Christianity had great power, spiritual power. It was spreading all over the world. Rome tried to kill them for centuries and they just kept growing. Now with Constantine, he baptized his pagan army and said, you're now a Christian army to go kill for Jesus. Do you know what happened to the mission movement? It collapsed. It was gone for centuries. It wasn't until the Moravians that in a large degree in the 16 and 1700s that Christians started being willing to die for Jesus again. Now, to be a Moravian missionary was a really risky thing. 90% of Moravian missionaries died within the first year of service, mostly to diseases. And every year they sent out new missionaries. What would it be like to be volunteering to be a Moravian missionary? 90% death rate in the first year. If you could survive the first year, you'd start building immunities and then you might be able to serve for a few more years. And Christianity started to spread again. Just to give you an idea of how that league changed things. It would become deceitful, second characteristic. 
The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. I forgot to tell you something about deceit on the last one. It said when the league is made, it would become deceitful. When Constantine takes over, he moves from Rome and he builds a new capital, Constantinople, and names it after himself. Really nice, humble guy. And uh, so the Pope is behind in Rome. And shortly thereafter, the Pope decides he wants a decree that says he has power to rule in Rome. And suddenly a document comes into play called the Donation of Constantine that gives the Pope permission to rule in Rome, gives him permission to wear purple because only emperor could wear purple at that point, and a whole bunch of other things. It's discovered later by a Catholic monk that the donation of Constantine was a forgery. You can Google it, the whole thing about the forgeries there. Let's see. If when the league is made, it's deceitful, if you base your power on a forged document that you forge, is it with deceit? Yeah. And so signs and lying wonders as well for deceit. It would be small but powerful, for it shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. Remember, it was 20%. Uh, A little horn, another horn, a little one coming up among them, speaking pompous words. It would be small but powerful. Some of you are farmers here, I think. Anybody here own more than uh, 100 acres or 100 acres or more? Right there, there. Anybody own 20 or more? A whole bunch of you. Well, the Vatican City, I forget. I just went blank for a moment. I forget if it's just under 20 or just under 100 acres. 90 acres. 90, okay, so it's just under 100 acres. Um, So some of you should have more power than the Pope because you own more land. (laughs) You're shaking your heads. It would be small but powerful. You might have... Thousands of acres, but you don't have the power he's got. So if you were to go to the Vatican tonight, you would find a small but powerful country, wouldn't you? A very small country at just under 100 acres. Peaceable and become rich. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province. He shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, the spoil, and the riches, and he shall devise plans against the strongholds. If you visit the Vatican, are you going to find richness or poorness? Pretty rich, isn't it? You don't even have to go there. Uh, go down in South America, Mexico or something like that, and uh, go, go to the city square, and what is it you're going to find right by the city square? A cathedral. It may be a poor town, but inside that cathedral will be quite ornate. All over the world, this matches. How did they get St. Peter's? I don't remember if you remember the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg Chapel door, Martin Luther, just over 500 years ago. Why did he nail those up? There was a guy by the name of Tetzel who was selling indulgences. Tetzel was raising money to build St. Peter's at the Vatican. Um, Here's what he would tell people. Your loved ones 
are either in hell or purgatory. And if you'll give me X amount of dollars, as soon as the money clanks into the container, your loved ones will be set free and to go to heaven. He even went so far as to say, if you're planning on a criminal activity, if you die in that criminal activity, you're going to go straight to purgatory or hell. You can pay me X amount of dollars now, and if you die during the criminal activity, you won't go to hell for it. That's what set Martin Luther off to write the 95 Theses. He couldn't take this guy selling salvation at a price. It said it would be raised peaceably. It didn't say honestly, because it already said the system had some deceit in it. It has a man at its head. In Daniel 11, this king of the north, he does this, he does that. Uh, The little horn, it's a man speaking pompous words. The man of sin obviously must be a person. The beast of revelation, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life slain from the foundation of the world. There is always a leader of the papal system. I can get one of their books and I can look who the leader is all the way back. At the current moment, it's Pope Francis. I can't tell you if this guy is saved or lost. I praise the Lord. I'm not the judge. My job is to love everybody, if they love me or not. And I've had some people tell me I'm going to hell for what I'm saying. This and other topics. And I smile and I say, well, I'm just glad God didn't make you the judge. I'm not your judge, you're not mine. (laughs) We all stand or fall before God on our own. I want you to notice something carefully. This is Time Magazine. Is it a pope for the Catholic Church? This is what they put on their cover right after he was elected. Is it a pope for the Catholic Church? Mm-mm. Is it a pope for Christian Christianity? No. It's a pope for a new world. They look at this guy as the major world leader. As a matter of fact, you ever heard of the State of the Union address? U.S. President gives that address, right? He talks about the State of the United States. How is it doing? The condition. Do you know who gives the State of the World Address? The Pope does every year. It would lead attacks against the South or Islam. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the King of the South of the Great Army. That would be the Crusades. At the appointed time he shall return and go towards the South, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. That's during the Ottomans. As a matter of fact, on presentation five, I'm going to show you how specifically verses 29 and 30 were fulfilled in, in conflict, and both the Muslim military and the Christian military believed they were fulfilling, at the time of the battle, they were fulfilling the battle of Daniel eleven twenty nine and 30. And I can prove that historically they were right. I mean, this isn't a new understanding of Daniel, but it's been forgotten in recent time. So, yes, Islam came from the south. Christianity strikes back from the north. And Jerusalem gets caught in the middle. Now, oh, I don't have time to get into that. I'll do it on Tuesday night. (laughs) A predicted time of supremacy of 1260 days or years. In Daniel 11.24, it says he would only be in power for a time. 
you know, he's going to come into play when the league is made, but he's only going to be in power for a time. Daniel 7, the little horn, tells us how long that would be. It would be times, time, and half a time. Time is one year. The word times is two years. So one year plus two years is three and a half a time. Half a year, three and a half years. In Revelation, we find the same thing. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time. And she's hiding from the beast. Same thing. The little horn, the beast. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. I don't know how your math is doing, but if you take that into years, it's three and a half years. Here's another one. He, the beast, was given authority to continue for 42 months. Anybody know how long that is? Three and a half years. Now, if you take a day for a year, like we already did in our last one, that ends up being 1,260 years. Interesting point. That's not 1,200, or that's not three and a half literal years. Why? That's three and a half times 360, not three and a half times 365. In other words, it's letting you know it's a symbolic year. So you use the day for a year thing here. And Pope Vigilus ascends the papal chair in 538 under the military protection of Belisarius. 1260 years later, something's going to happen. 533, actually, Justinian had decreed that the Pope was the leader of all Christianity in the Roman Empire. There was a glitch in it, though. The Pope is the Bishop of Rome. And some Arian Christians that didn't, it's not like Arian skinheads in the United States today. All right. Uh, These didn't believe the same thing the papacy taught. We don't know exactly what they taught. We only know what the papacy says about them. If all we know is about what your enemies say, do we really know what you believe? No. But we know the papacy didn't agree with them. They were in charge of Rome, and the Pope wasn't welcome in Rome. (laughs) The Bishop of Rome is supposed to be in charge of everything, but he can't even have his own city. And so... 533, this decree is made, and by 538, Justinian sends his general in to enforce his decree and to put the Pope in Rome. It gives him both political and religious power. 1260 years later, we have Pope Pius VI is imprisoned by Napoleon in 1798, 1260 years. Now, Get the, uh, here it is. In 1798, he, Berthier, Napoleon's general, made his entrance into Rome, abolished the papal government, and established a secular one in its place. So we have a 1260-year time period. In this, all the, uh, you have the Crusades and all the really important parts of the Ottoman-Turkish conflict. By the time 1798 comes, the Turks are already fading out. Eighth characteristic... Notice so far, every one of these characteristics matches the papal system. If we have 15 characteristics and 14 fit and one misses, it's not a match. Eighth one, change is times and laws. In Daniel 11, 28, 30, and 32, it says that the king of the north would be against God's covenant. In Daniel 7.25, the little horn shall intend to change times and law. 
He thinks he can, is what the, how the King James translates that. He thinks to change times and law. He tries, it doesn't mean he can. But he tries. Well, does the papacy admit to trying to change God's times and laws? Oh, they do. This is the Catholic Ferrari's Ecclesiastical Dictionary. By the way, it wouldn't be fair to use the comments of other people about the papacy. I'm going to use the papacy's own comments. All right? The Pope is of so great of authority and power that he can modify, change, or interpret even divine laws. The Pope can modify divine law since his power is not of man, but of God, and he acts as vicegerent of God upon earth with most ample power of binding and loosing his sheep. What about Francis leaning towards accepting same-sex marriages? That's why conservative Catholics are calling him the Antichrist. They keep saying, can't he read the Bible? It's a good question. (laughs) Um, But they claim that they can change God's law, except in the Bible it says God and his law don't change. Now, I told you at the very beginning that my goal is to help you take the Bible as your authority. So what's my goal? To help you follow other people or to follow the Bible? So I'm going to go with God doesn't change. All right? Converts Catechism. Quick question. Which day is the Sabbath? Answer. Saturday's the Sabbath day. Question. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer. We observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. I don't know what you're going to do about that, but that's why I'm a Sabbath-keeping Christian. Because I just can't follow the system when that's what they boldly claim they did. Number nine. Speak great words or blasphemy. Daniel, Thessalonians, Revelation, all of them point this characteristic out. Daniel 11. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods. He shall regard neither the god of his fathers nor the desire of women. That may be a reference to celibacy in the priesthood. Nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Okay? Here's Daniel 7. I'm talking about the little horn. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. 2 Thessalonians 2.4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I'm actually going to show you a picture in a little bit that shows how they fulfill that. (laughs) I got it from the Catholic Church. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. So they're very clear that all these, the different names for the same power are committing blasphemy. So what is blasphemy? Well, in the New Testament, in John 10, they were going to kill Jesus because he claimed to be God. In Mark 2, they were going to claim, kill Jesus because he claimed to be able to forgive sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm counting on the Jesus being God and he's able to forgive sin. If he can't forgive sin, I'm in big trouble. But because he can forgive sin, I can be forgiven and have eternal life. That's good news, isn't it? So those two things would be considered blasphemy. Does the papal system claim either of those? We find they claim both of them. Here we go. The Pope is of so great of dignity and so exalted that he is not a mere man, but as it were God. And the vicar of God, 
The Pope is called most holy because he is rightfully presumed to be such. That's a Catholic article. He is likewise the divine monarch and supreme emperor and king of kings. That's a title for Jesus. Hence, the Pope is crowned with a triple crown as king of heaven and of earth and of the lower regions. Let's see. He's king of earth. He's king of hell. And he's king of heaven. It means he can tell God what to do. And we're going to find, yes, they believe they can. The Pope is, as it were, God on earth, sole sovereign of the faithful of Christ, chief king of kings, having plenitude of power. If Jesus is king of kings and the Pope is chief king of kings. That's an interesting statement. The Pope is not only the representative of Jesus Christ, but he is Jesus Christ himself, hidden under the veil of the flesh. I mean, it's not just once that they do this kind of stuff. They do it quite often. So I told you I'd show you a picture of sitting in the temple as if he were God. Notice right over here the watermark, Catholic television. That's where I got it. And I froze a frame in a video. That's why it's not the best quality. (sighs) But I froze a frame in this video. And here we have Pope Benedict. Now, in the temple, where is the judgment seat? It's between what? It's on the Ark of the Covenant between the two cherubim. What's on each side of the throne? The two cherubim. We have the imagery of sitting in God's throne in the temple. In Revelation, in the New Testament, you have the great white throne judgment scene. He's on a great what? White throne. At that great white throne, there are four living creatures around the throne, and up on this platform, there are four men. Interesting imagery. They took Old and New Testament and put the Pope in God's place. It goes along with their statements. Rebutting a belief widely shared by Protestants and a growing number of Roman Catholics, Pope John Paul II on Tuesday dismissed the widespread idea that one can obtain forgiveness directly from God and exhorted Catholics to confess more often to their priest. Why would he want you to confess to a priest? The book, The Catholic Priest by Michael Mueller, a Catholic writer, says this, Seek where you will through heaven and earth and you will find but one created being who can forgive the sinner, who can free him from the chains of hell, That extraordinary being, it's not Jesus. That extraordinary being is the priest, the Catholic priest. Yes, beloved brethren, the priest raises his hand. He pronounces the word of absolution. And an instant, quick as a flash of light, the chains of hell are burst asunder and the sinner becomes a child of God. So great is the power of the priest that the judgments of heaven itself are subject to his decision. God has to do what the priest tells him to do. Do you think there has ever been a corrupt priest? (laughs) I will tell you that there is only one being in the universe that can handle absolute power without blowing it, and that's God. And I don't care if you're a Catholic, Adventist, Baptist, or what you are, if you put your leaders too much on a pedestal, it will destroy them and your group. Only God 
can handle having absolute power. Power corrupts. This is giving power. Suppose I'm a rich person and I'm doing a lot of bad stuff, but I pay a lot of indulgences even before I sin. And the priest says, like Tetzel did, that I'm forgiven. It means God has to forgive me, even if I'm not serious. That's not right, is it? Suppose I'm a poor person, and I've got the priest mad, and I ask forgiveness, and he says no. Then God can't forgive me. But what if I'm good at working the system? So I move, go to a different parish, I earn some money, make friends, make some good offerings, go to that priest and say, will you forgive me? And he says, yes. Which priest will God obey? (laughs) Remember? He said, he was complaining about people that are going straight to Jesus for their forgiveness. They need to go to their priest instead. I'm so glad you can go straight to Jesus. You don't have to deal with a corrupt person to get in between you and them and Jesus. How many of us have sinned? The Bible says all of us. So that would be a corrupt person between you and Jesus, if it's anybody. I was doing a presentation. Now oh, I better save time and not go there. <laughs> Ten, persecute saints. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and by flame. It's actually in this section talking about the Reformation. People would do great exploits for God, but they would be killed by sword and by flame. Daniel 7.25, he shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Revelation 13, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Huh. So, it talks in Daniel 11 about being killed by the sword and by flame during the time of the Reformation, which is when the papacy was actually burning people at the stake. They were killing people with sword, torturing them as well, and burning them up. At the time period they were tending to burn people, burn heretics, they were doing this. Why did so many people leave the old world to get to the new world? Because, yeah, religious persecution. Pope urged forgiveness for centuries of wrong. The Pope says the Roman Catholic Church must mark the year 2000 by acknowledging its members' sins. It's interesting. He couldn't quite say the church's sins, so he called it the members' sins. Because according to their theology, the church does not err. So it had to be the members that messed up. Including intolerance in the name of religion and complicity in human rights crimes. As the second millennium draws to a close, the church should become more fully conscious of the sinfulness of her children, recalling all those times in history when they departed from the spirit of Christ. And it goes on to talk about the Inquisition and the Crusades and many martyrs who died through the centuries at their hands. This was at the year two, coming up to the year 2000. And I can tell you since the year 2000, I've met a couple of Catholic priests who didn't get that memo. I was in Ecuador doing a three-week Bible presentation. We'd rented a small hotel out, outside of Quito, 
and had a banquet hall in there, and we were having meetings in the evening, just teaching Bible topics. And in the daytime, we were doing health stuff and VBS. We were having a blast. I didn't talk about this topic in Ecuador. In Ecuador, it is Roman Catholic by constitution. The local priest has great political power. So I would let people read between the lines. I'm not going to say it. That can still get you in trouble. Towards the end of the seminar, here's how I found out we were in trouble. About one or two o'clock in the morning, there's a knock on the hotel owner's door. She lives in the hotel. It's four men, three of them in camouflage military uniforms with assault rifle and one of them in a business suit. Chief of police with three officers. Get your keys. We want you to open up the rooms. They missed my room. But here's how my two teenage daughters woke up. They hit about half of our team. My daughters hear some disturbance in the hallway. And they hear the hotel owner, a lady we know well. We've been with her for several weeks. And she's begging their niños, their children, Leave them alone. Open the door. Now, my daughters know Spanish. I wouldn't have known as much as they do about what was going on, but they could hear what was going on in the hall. And she's ordered to open the door. They hear the key go into their door. The door opens. Somebody hits the light switch, and men with assault rifles come across the room aimed at their faces, demanding their passports. My younger daughter, I say younger daughter, she was probably about... Mm, 15, 16 years old. She pulls the sheets over her head. My older daughter, a few minutes later, when they got into our room, said, like, sheets will stop bullets. She just pulled the sheets over her head. My younger daughter looked back at her and fired right back. Well, at least I'd never see the bullets coming, would I? (laughs) We talked to the hotel owner in the morning. And she said, it's really simple. The priest is mad at you, and he wants you to leave. It's not hard to figure out. They put seals on the two front doors of the hotels, making it a criminal offense to open the doors of the hotel. They left the back door open so we could leave. And as long as we're in the hotel, that hotel is not open for business. Get a feeling you're not wanted? So we told the hotel owner, it's really simple. Um, go back and tell the police and the priest, try that again, we'll make an international incident out of it. I figured if Paul could use being a Roman, I can use being an American. You see, Ecuador was at that moment negotiating getting ready their currency called Sucre and replacing it with something called U.S. dollars. And I figured they did not want an international incident while they were doing that negotiation. And so I called for a taxi, and I made no attempt to make it a secret. I told the hotel owner and everybody, I'm going to go down to the U.S. Embassy today. Went down to the U.S. Embassy in Quito. 
Went down there, talked to him about some other things. I didn't want them to tell me to go home. I didn't tell him what happened. But nobody in Ecuador knew I didn't tell him what happened. <laughs> I came back up there, and we put a guy with a sign out on the front street, uh, front in, on the street, and said, "Hey, meetings are still on. The back door is open. Come on in." We finished the meetings, and they decided not to make it an international scene. But the hotel was shut down and couldn't take a new guest until we left. A year later, in another city in Ecuador, I watched a Catholic priest try to rally a mob to drive me out of town. And I didn't even say this stuff. Because it doesn't matter if you're a Baptist, a Pentecostal, or an Adventist, you're called an Evangelico and you're not welcome. Because you're teaching people to go straight to Jesus for their forgiveness instead of going to the priest in the church. And they don't get any offerings out of it that way. Deadly wound healed in worldwide power. I guess what I'm telling you is, yes, they still use persecution when they have the political power. I've watched it. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. They lost power in 1798, but 1929, the Vatican signed a concordat with a guy by the name of Mussolini. Not a very nice guy. Friend of Adolf Hitler's. And uh, they got the Vatican City back. They became their own country again. Here's what the San Francisco Chronicle said that day. The Roman question tonight was a thing of the past and the Vatican was at peace with Italy. In affixing the autographs to the memorable wound, memorable document, healing the wound, extreme cordiality was displayed on both sides. Believe it or not, up through the 1930s and 40s, you could go into encyclopedias and find the stuff I'm talking about. And then it became politically incorrect and was all jerked out. That's why you don't know it. After John Paul came on the scene, he's a very charismatic leader, and he brought great power to the Catholic Church worldwide. And here, 2015, Pope Francis wants to be president of the world, but shrewdly and methodically and with a showman's flair, the soft-spoken 78-year-old Argentinian Jesuit priest named Pope Francis showed Thursday that he is running to become president of the planet, and the Huffington Post was ready to endorse him. Interestingly, at the time of the Crusades, the world followed the Pope because they were afraid of Islam. At the time of the Ottomans, the world followed the Pope because he was afraid, they were afraid of Islam. I'll show you Tuesday night that in 2014, the Pope called for war against radical Islam, and within 36 hours, the United States struck the target. Question? Yes, sir. Did he make it to be the president of the world? No, but he wants to be. Revelation 13.3 says all the world follows. Eventually they do. They followed him in both conflicts with Islam in the past, and we've got another round building. And I will show you Tuesday night how even moderate Muslims are signing agreements with the papacy against radical Islam. It's been in your news if you were paying attention. Oh, let's back up to this. So that... It would be diverse or different. 
The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. The king of the north is both political and spiritual. All the powers before were political. Now it's a mix. Question, does the Pope have political power? Yes. Does he have religious power? Yes. He matches, doesn't he? He's a different type leader than all the other world leaders, but he is the one that matches. Notice everything is matched. It also says that in that 10-way split, three horns would be pulled up by the roots to make room for it. The Heruli, the Ostrogoths, and the Vandals were all uprooted because they believed in a different form of Christianity, the Arian version. And when the Pope is coming in the power, Justinian and the Romans take out the Arian ones and the Pope takes power. So even that fits. 666. Oh man, everybody gets worried about that one. It's one of the least important in my opinion. You can go into prison ministry and you're going to find people with 666 tattooed between their knuckles. They think they're really tough. Well, they are pretty tough. But all they have to do is turn their hand over and they're only 999. (laughs) I had a neighbor, Mr. Cox. I couldn't believe his license plate number. It's 666. Now, in our part of Arkansas, where I was growing up as a kid, each county had a designation, and most of the people in our county had COX on theirs, and his was COX666, and his name is Cox. Did that make him a beast? My old neighbor didn't have a mean bone in his body. And he's long gone now. He's dead. So it wasn't him. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Well, if you take the title of the Pope in that document, the donation of Constantine, when he became deceptive, and in thousands of other Catholic documents, you will find, and oh, by the way, I have a book at home just listing this, the quotes the paragraphs that they're in, one after another after another. It's a thick book just on this title. B, numerical value in the Roman system, V is a five, right? I was a one, C is a hundred, A had no numerical value, R had no numerical value, I is one, B is five, S zero, 112, F zero, I one, L 50, I one, I one, 53, D 500, E zero, I one, 501. Total it up, 666. Then, then his name is, has that number. Huh. Number 15, it gets the dragon's throne. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Revelation 13.2. Now, who's the dragon? Ultimately, it's Satan. But who is Satan working through at that po- point? The fourth beast of Daniel 7 is a dragon-like beast. That was Rome. Now take a look at Revelation 12. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Did Satan want Jesus dead when he was born? Yes. Remember the babies being killed in Bethlehem? Was that Satan that did the killing or was it Roman soldiers? It's Roman soldiers. When Jesus dies on the cross, was that actually Satan's hands putting him on the cross or was it Roman soldiers? So get why we've got a tie between Satan and Rome? 
because Rome is carrying out the attacks on Jesus for Satan. So the dragon gives him his power and his authority. Oh, Justinian and Constantine give the Pope power and authority and his place. LaBianca, professor of history, University of Rome, says, to the secession of the Caesars came the secession of the pontiffs in Rome. When Constantine left Rome, he gave his seat to the pontiff. Where's the county seat in this county? What's, what town or city is the county seat in this county? What? Mount Pleasant is. Okay. So the county seat is not where there's a chair, right? It's the seat of government. When Constantine leaves Rome, he gives the seat of government over to the Pope. That's interesting. So he gets the place, the throne, the seat of government, but he also gets the title. Pontiff. Do you know where that came from? Take a look at this coin. This coin is a denarius. It's called a tax coin. When Jesus was asked, should we give, pay taxes to Caesar? He says, show me a coin. And that is Tiberius Caesar. It would be exactly the type of coin that Jesus is talking about. It's got his face on it. If they tried to make him look good on that coin, he must have been ugly. (laughs) Hopefully they just did a bad job of making him look good. (laughs) You flip it over and you have the title that he's going by. Pontiff Maxim. One emperor after another used the title Pontiff Maximum. The uh, great bridge builder between gods and man. And what does the Pope and the Catholic Church do? They put themselves between you and God. You've got to go through them to get your forgiveness. They get their title from the Roman emperor that's in charge when Jesus is killed. If I am a true follower of Jesus, probably the last title I would want is the title of the guy that's ultimately in charge of the power that kills Jesus. But that's the title they take up because it's a political title. And it gives them the position of being between God and man. So who's this king of the north? Manison and all that. I end up agreeing with Luther and Calvin, but again, it's not Catholic people. Many of them are God's people, according to Revelation 18.4, where right at the end he says, come out of her, my people. If God says he has a people in his system, does he have a people in the system? Yeah. I've actually gotten trouble from some Protestants for saying that there are true true Christians, followers of Jesus in the Catholic system. And I'm going, man, can't win on this one. (laughs) But aren't you glad God loves people in all kinds of systems? And don't you think he'd be putting people in those systems to share the love of Jesus there too? Here's another coin. This one is from 1959. It's from the Vatican City. 
In other words, the Pope signs off, or somebody at the Vatican signs off on the artwork of this coin. I'd fire the artwork for, I mean, fire the graphics department for this one too, just like for that throne room thing. Now, if you look at the front of it, you'll see that you have uh, John in Latin, and we've got John 23. Look what kind of numerals they use, Latin numerals, just like we did with 666. And then it's PM, Pontiff Maximus. But you flip the coin over, and you find this lady with a cross and a cup. It's a 100 lira coin, and around the outside it says City del Vaticano, Vatican City. So, you look up the word Vaticano, or Vatica, or Vatican, in a good collegiate dictionary. You will find out the word Vaticano, Vatica, Vatican means prophecy, the city of prophecy. With a term, the city of prophecy, around the outside edge, you might want to be careful what symbol you use. Maybe you should read through Daniel and Revelation before you put your symbols on this coin. Another clue that there might be trouble is underneath of it, there's a term, Fides. Now, if you find a statue with a nameplate underneath, it's usually the name of the person above it, right? Fides is a pagan goddess. There's just all kinds of little interesting indicators on this coin. Remember, you take paganism and Christianity and jam it together. That's what Constantine does. It's still happening. So I'm guessing, if I'm trying to think in their shoes, that they're probably trying to say, well, Ephesians 5, the church is the bride of Christ. That's probably the church. Or Revelation 12, the pure woman, the bride of Christ. Or maybe even Mary, queen of heaven, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Except, if you go to Revelation, since it's the city of prophecy, you find this picture. And it's not a good one. Here's where we go. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on scarlet beast, which is full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones, having in her hand a golden cup, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. You see, the woman in Revelation 12, the pure woman, went and hid in the wilderness. At the end of the 1260 years, he's taken to the wilderness and he finds out that the church that started out pure has now fallen. And she's been killing actually God's people. And he's amazed by the transformation. Instead of hiding from the beast, she's now unified with that beast, the political and the religious. So she starts out in Revelation 12 as the pure woman, and she ends up falling and joining with the beast. Now, you can take a quick comparison, and the description here is not the pure woman. It is matching this one. But that says the cup is full of abominations. Well, let's go to Ezekiel 8 and find out what the abominations might be. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house, and to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. 
Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, you will see greater things than these. Well, in the ancient religions, the son of the sun god was born to the goddess of fertility and he would die uh, you know, in the wintertime and they would weep for him and weep for him for 40 days and then he would come back to life at the spring equinox. Ever heard of Easter after 40 days of Lent? And you have bunny rabbits and Easter eggs, goddess of fertility. And the goddess of fertility, the name of one of those prominent goddesses of fertility, lady by the name of Ishtar, from which we get Easter. I told you we're still dealing with the mix of paganism and Christianity that got brought into it. Uh, I used to pastor in southern Louisiana, and man, I had to deal with Mardi Gras down there all the time. That's really sad because in the name of religion, they throw a big party. And it's okay no matter what you do because on Ash Wednesday, you're going to go ask forgiveness under the name of religion. While you're planning to do it all over again next year. That's not forgiveness. That's not repentance. Oh, well, let's keep going. Turn again, you will see greater abominations than these. So weeping for Tammuz was an abomination. By the way, remembering the resurrection is not. Don't get me wrong. I just don't like the term that we use for it. I would prefer resurrection day rather than Easter. All right. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house and there at the door of the temple of the Lord between the porch and the altar were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord. So when you come into the I'm going to pretend east is that way for a very specific reason. When you come into the temple of the Lord, you're facing, I'm sorry, east is that way. You're facing west. And you have the altar. And inside you have the table of showbread, the seven-branch candlestick, the altar of incense, and behind it is God's judgment throne on the Ark of the Covenant. These guys get to the door of the temple. And instead of worshiping towards God, they turn around and bow down and give God their backsides. And they worship towards the rising sun. Hmm. Once I realized that one, now let's keep reading, and their faces towards the east, and they were worshiping the sun towards the east. When I realized that one, I suddenly started having a problem with Easter sunrise services. It has the name of Ishtar, and it's a sunrise service worshiping towards the rising sun. I'm still in favor of resurrection celebrations. I just don't like those pagan things that got added into it. Now, here, if you're in charge of a resurrection celebration, I have a suggestion for you. You turn it around. You set it up where the audience is facing to the west where the empty tomb is. When the sun arises at their backs, it illuminates the empty tomb. You've now got it set it up God's way. But you, I dare you to do it because you're the one that will get in trouble, not me. <laughs> Because everybody will come up to you and say, don't you know you got it backwards? Because people today go more by tradition than they go by God's word. I dare you to try it and see if you don't get in trouble. But it says the cup is full of abomination. What was the greater abomination in 
Ezekiel, worshiping towards the rising sun. What's in the cup? There's a sunrise. Oh my. They put it on there. They've got a name of a pagan goddess. They're the city of prophecy. And they've got the cup with the abomination of desolation on it. I'd fire the art department. They, it would seem like those are accidents, but they have a lot of them in their art. It's amazing. Constantine, mixing the cross and the sun. God's greater abomination. Well, again, what do you need to remember? That the king of the north is papal-led Christianity. And yes, in the Crusades, they led against, in the attacks going after Jerusalem against the Muslims. They did it again in the Ottoman Empire, and they're starting to do it again now. Islam was pushing from the south. So we've tied this together now. So the king of the north of this prophecy today is still, it's been since Constantine, the papal system. And it's still there. But don't forget, there are lots and lots of real, genuine followers of Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church. All right? Don't forget that. Our next presentation, the role of the U.S. in the growing conflict. Oh, some of us as prophecy people see the role for the U.S. and some do not. So tomorrow uh, at 7.30 or whenever you get, if 5.45 the next day, whenever it is, I'm going to start out by sharing how some people don't see the United States in prophecy and then I'm going to share why I see it and you're going to have to study it and find out for yourself. Remember, I said when people judge me, I just say, I'm so glad I'm not your judge and you're not mine. I'm not your judge. You've got to look at scripture and judge for yourself. You're responsible for God if you're following as you understand or not. That's good news for me. Because I'd mess it up and you'd mess it up. But God loves us and he gets it straight. Now, you should have a response envelope. And every evening, I'm going to try and get a little bit of response from you guys, and that will tell me how I'm getting through or not. All right? You cannot get this wrong. It's your answer. What do you think? All right? Yes, no, question mark, or other. And if you put other, write down your comment. The papacies led the Christian world in two previous conflicts or holy wars with Islam. First, the Crusades. Second, the Ottomans. If you agree with that, you put circle the yes. If you disagree, you circle the no. If you're not sure, you put a question mark. And if it's something totally different, write it out, because I'm curious. <sighs> okay? So yes, no, or question mark. The papacies led the Christian world in two previous conflicts with Islam. Number two, the 15 Bible prophecy characteristics identify the papal system, not Catholic people, as the king of the north, the little horn, and the man of sin. Yes, no, or question mark. These Bible prophecy characteristics have been fulfilled in the system. Now, you can just drop those off at the door on the way out. 
Now, if you would like to make a donation to help cover the expenses, you may put something in. But I want you to understand something. The gospel is free. Nobody will know if you're putting any donation in there or not. Because I hope everybody turns it in so I can see your responses. All right? And what am I doing? I'm trying to make it loud and clear. You don't need to put anything in there. However, the gospel is free, but it costs a lot to give it away. And if you want to help give it away, you can. All right? So that's how that works. But I hope you'll turn those in. And tomorrow, the role of the U.S. in the growing conflict. Let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your love and kindness. And Lord, even as we find some unsettling things, help us never to become bigoted and hateful about a group that we differ with. Help us to truly love them like you do. In Jesus' name I ask it and I thank you. Amen.